wonderful job. And I want to personally say thank you to Marsha. Samuel's uh, been gone for a couple weeks, and Marsha stepped up the last three weeks along with many of our volunteers to lead us. Give her a hand, will you? Thank you very much. Wow, am I excited to be able to share with you. My life was changed forever about three weeks ago when I got on a plane and headed to India for the first time in my life. I've been out of the country before. I've been to the Dominican Republic on a couple of occasions. But what I experienced with my friend Tom Segelke from February 18 to 27 changed my life forever. But first things First, I need to wish a very happy birthday to a couple people very special in my life. My wife had a birthday on Thursday. I won't tell you how old she is. She was born in 1969. But my daughter Jordan turns 18 today. So give them a hand, will you please? All right. And I am so blessed to have two of my very best friends with me today, Ed Bacon, from a Mount Zion Christian Church, board member at God's Shelter of Love is with us. He's going to share during the offering time a little bit later. And my good friend Tom Segelke, the president of the Kooky Christian Mission in America, is here as well. Will you give them both a hand? Thank you. And I've asked Tom to come forward at this time, and he's going to give us a greeting and kind of an introduction to our message today. Thank you for another warm welcome to this church. I've been here several times, as you know, and uh, I feel blessed to be here. I thank you very much for letting Greg join me and for paying for his trip to India. Uh, as Greg said, it's changed his life. It's uh, been a big part of my life since the 80s when I first met Brother T. Lun Kim, and I've been a part of his mission since then. Um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would be willing to be strapped in an airplane seat next to Greg Taylor for 40 hours. I see. My wife didn't even raise her hand during No. But I did suffer through that. Luckily, I was able to sleep through some of those enduring hours, but uh, it was a long trip, but it was well worth it. We enjoyed ourselves, and my life was changed again. And again, as I, I've been there three times now, and every time I'm amazed at that work. It is a trip worth taking. And I think Greg was very surprised to find what was going on there. You can tell it, but you can't experience it without being there. It is a work of many facets. It is an indigenous work. It's a work that was already happening before we knew about it in America. Lunkim's desire to be one church and to lead those people in that part of India to be the church of Christ, the people leading lives such as were in the New Testament day. He had that desire before he even knew what was going on here in America. He didn't know about Barton Stone. Maybe some of you don't know about Barton Stone and Campbell. But he was wanting the church to be like the New Testament and he was already desiring that for his people. And then he came to America, and the story goes on from there. And we were blessed with their hospitality. We were blessed to see their desire to serve the Lord once again and see the change. I hadn't been there for 12 years, but we were amazed at what there is going on there. And Greg will share more about that in his sermon today, his lesson about what he's learned and his changed life. 
I thank you deeply for your continued support from this congregation for many decades, several decades, back to the 80s, back when Winston Zastro was a minister here. Your continued support has been very, very appreciated, and we, we thank you for that. And now I'll let Greg tell more about the story. Thank you very much. Give Tom a hand, please. Thank you very much. Tom is an incredible brother in the Lord, and I am just so blessed to, uh, to be able to call him friend. And he had invited me a couple other times to be a part of this trip, and I wasn't able to make it. And I'm so glad that I was able to go this time. Three things that I want to do during our message time today. Number one, I want to just share observations from a small-town American. Number two, this will be the bulk of the message. What faith lessons did I learn? And then I want to leave you with a challenge. Let me give you some facts about India. India is a country of 1.2 billion people, over 1.2 billion people. Second largest country in the world population-wise. China is the largest. And over 80% of Indians are Hindus. Uh, Christianity is less than 10%. It's probably less than 5%. It was hard to really get official statistics. Uh, now, where we were in the Northeast states, uh, really it's almost kind of a country all to its own. I'll show you a map in just a moment. And there's a much stronger Christian presence, especially in Manipur. But India is a secular nation. There's not an official religion. And this is a positive for the Christian church. This is a positive for the sake of Jesus Christ. Some observations uh, from my trip to India, riding in a car is a life and death experience in the country of India. I can't tell you how many times Tom and I were fist bumping each other out of fear because we thought our lives were coming to an end. Meals and showers are very different. Uh, much, much different cuisine in India than in America. And you would all be so proud of me. I ate everything they put in front of me. Even that soup that was specially made, that was chalked full of peas. I ate every one of those peas, believe it or not. I won't be doing it again anytime soon, but I did it. Showers are very different. The first day that we were in Manipur, I went to Tom and I said, Tom, my bathroom's broke. And he said, what do you mean? I said, there's no shower curtain. And it's got one of those kind of handicap little uh, shower spigots. And he said, no, 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 no. What you do in India, in Manipur at least, is you get that little tub right there and you fill it with hot water and you dump a little bit of water over you and then you lather up and then you dump some more water, very limited amount of hot water, so much more of kind of a sponge bath. The people were ridiculously welcoming. Tom and I probably posed for 200 pictures during our time that we were in India. And many times there were people we had no idea who they were. Uh, when we went to Delhi and spent time at Agra, going to some of the sites, people would just come up to us with big smiles on their face. Can we take our picture with you? Um, I really miss my American coffee. The, the coffee that they served us was very sweet, uh, just a, a small amount. I missed my hot and black coffee that I am used to every morning. Um, I don't like long flights. Uh, the year before I went to India, I maybe watched five movies. On the flights from America to India and back, I watched seven full-length movies, five television episodes, and I even watched an infomercial. It, it was uh, pretty incredible how long we were on the airplane. India, in, in, a winter in northeast India is really pretty nice. The, the weather during the day was anywhere from low 60s to high 70s to even low 80s. 
At night, it, got, it crept down into the 50s, which we were loving after this winter. They were very cold there. They don't like the 50s. They were wearing stocking caps and winter coats and long underwear in the 50s. You know, I felt very safe, but it's not America. And sometimes you need to leave America to realize how good you have it in America. I went for a walk my first morning that I was there and was quickly rebuked by one of the leaders. He said, it's not safe for you to be on the streets of Imphal all by yourself. And I realized there had been a bombing just two doors down the day before we arrived. I realized I'm not in America anymore. If you don't eat rice, you're going to have a lot of trouble in India, okay? You'd lose weight the hard way. Lots and lots of rice and lots and lots of noise at night. Tom and I couldn't believe the noise that the chickens and the roosters, whatever they do. My mom said they don't don't crow. What do they do? What's a chicken do? Cockadoodle do? I don't know what it is. But they were doing it all night long. Now, Tom did get revenge Uh, Saturday. He woke up and he said, that chicken kept me up all night long. And then we ate that chicken on Saturday night. So that was kind of cool. Um, beef and pork, uh, you're not eating it if you're in major parts of India. In fact, the day that we went to the Taj Mahal, it was a long day, and it was a hot day, and it was a tiring day. We did a lot of walking, and about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, our, our guides, who are Christians from northeast India, now living in Delhi, they said, let's get some lunch. Where do you want to go? And Tom and I said, we don't care. It's your country. It's your place. You pick. Guess what they picked? McDonald's. We went to McDonald's and a big sign was on the wall that said no beef or pork is served in this McDonald's. And that was the case in many places because cows are considered sacred. Uh, You don't kill pork. You don't kill pigs. You don't kill hogs. Uh, It it is a much, much different place. Uh, The traffic was uh, unbelievably crazy. Delhi is a uh, city of 13 million people. I'm told that the land mass of the city is not a lot bigger than Rockford. So think about that. 13 million people living in an area the size of Rockford. And just some incredible places to visit. I'm just going to show you a couple. This is a map of India, and this isn't going to do a whole lot for you, um, for those of you in the back. But this is Delhi right here. This is where we flew into. The other major cities, this is Mumbai, used to be uh, Bombay. That's the largest city in India. This is Calcutta. Think of Mother Teresa. We were all the way over here, the far eastern edge in the state of Manipur. Northeast India is made up of eight states, and we were in Manipur, one of the smaller of the the northeastern states, but a place where the gospel is alive and well. We did visit the Taj Mahal. Uh, I had my Bible confiscated at the Taj Mahal. I tried to go in with my backpack, and they were good with a lot of the files that I had and uh, the, the electronic contraptions that I had, but when they saw my Bible, when they saw the book The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, they became angry. And they didn't appreciate it at all. And they were going to take it forever. And one of our guides stepped in and kind of saved the day. This is the Kitab Minar, this next picture. This was built in uh, 1206. Next picture, Dana, please. This was built in 1206. It is the largest brick um, minaret in the entire world. And to imagine that it was built uh, 900 years ago is absolutely amazing. This next picture is the India Gate. This was built in 1919 to commemorate the 40,000 Indians that lost their lives fighting with England in World War I. And uh, India was an occupied land for, for a couple hundred years. Um, England, uh, a colony of England. 
And this is maybe their favorite place, the Indians' favorite place in Delhi. It is a very festive, festive place to visit. And then one other amazing sight that I saw were lots and lots of cows roaming the streets of India. They were everywhere. We're on a highway right here as this picture is taken, and those are cows just kind of strolling through the city. I really want to talk primarily this morning about faith lessons that I learned. I went to preach for the 36th annual Kooky Christian Convention, and I went with the challenge to inspire church leaders in India. They gave me some awesome kooky wear, this vest, and uh, they call these mufflers. Uh, we, we were incredibly, incredibly blessed by the people. What I didn't realize was how much I was going to learn, how much the Lord was going to kind of take me and mold me and shape me and, and rock my world and really force me to, to look at where I'm at, really force me to look at where we are as American Christians. And there were some great faith lessons that I walked away with. Number one is this, parachurch ministries matter, and they absolutely make a difference. The Kooky Christian Church has been around since 1979, and they do an incredible work. There's over 400 different Christian churches under the Kooky Christian Church label. Um, we were at the Imphal Christian Church for part of our time. The Chichanapur Christian Church hosted the convention. But what really struck me is the difference that parachurch ministries are making. Um, for 30 years, there has been a seminary in Northeast India, the Trulock Theological Seminary. For the last 12 years, 11 years, there's been a hospital, the Christian hospital. This next picture is a picture of the hospital where, where uh, people can come from all over Northeast India and be treated. They're the only hospital in Manipur that will treat anybody, whether they can pay or not. Guess who ends up coming to the Christian hospital? A lot of, of the poor and the needy. One of the things Tom and I were able to do our last day there was to pray for the sick and those many of whom are dying in the hospital. It was a very moving, moving experience. We were also able to dedicate the fifth floor of the hospital, and they have a plaque there in our honor. A really cool thing happened to me on my way from the time I got on the plane in Chicago to the time I arrived in India. I got my doctorate. I, I earned my doctorate. I didn't realize that. That's a joke. You can laugh. But um, the whole time that I was there, I was Dr. Greg Taylor. They, they continued to call me Dr. Taylor. They're still calling me Dr. Taylor on Facebook. Uh, so what do you do? And then one final picture that I have here is of an orphanage. Really cool story. Um, a good friend of Tom and Rita Segelkeys came into some money late in her life, um, and, and $50,000 of the money that she came into was given to this mission to start an orphanage. And uh, that, that was about six, seven years ago. Tom and I were able to go there and actually meet the orphans that are being blessed, actually meet children that would have no place to be. They'd be on the street. Mom and, dad, mom and dad are gone. They're dead. And this orphanage, the Rutan Orphanage, is changing lives. I was reminded how impacting parachurch ministries are. And it reminded me how thankful I am for the parachurch ministries that are right here in our backyard. Ed Bacon's here representing God's shelter of love, a homeless shelter making a difference in Decatur. Today we wrap up our baby, baby bottle drive for the New Life Pregnancy Center in Decatur. Uh, we must never lose sight of the difference these parachurch ministries are making. A second faith lesson that I learned was that prayer is powerful. Now, you may say, well, didn't you know that before you went? I did. And I'll be honest, I pray a lot. I know many of you pray a lot. We spend time with prayer requests. I, I bring some prayer requests for you today. Remember our friend Jim Weichel. He's hospitalized and needs your prayer. Remember our friend Joyce Trumbull. She has surgery tomorrow. She, she needs your prayers. Remember our friend Merla Hickerson. She begins cancer treatment this week. She needs our prayers. 
But what stunned me was how the very common people, the very average people, wanted Tom and I and Christians everywhere to partner with them in prayer. I can't tell you the number of times that we were invited to pray for households, to pray for children. One of, one of the most moving experiences, the last night, a wonderful feast in a, in a very average home. And, and the leader of the home, Kongsai, said, will you pray for my children? Will you pray that they grow up to love Jesus Christ? Will you pray that God will use them in a great and mighty way? This next picture that you see here is of three women from the village. The, the convention was not held in Imphal. It was held in Chuchanapur, a, a town 60 kilometers south of Imphal. And it, it was very rural looking. Even though they say 100,000 people live there, it really looked like we were in the sticks in the village, with the exception of one home. There is a masterpiece of a home up on the hill where we stayed. It's the, the second home of the chief of the village. And one morning after our, our preaching time, we came back to relax for the day. And these three women from the village wanted to see the Americans. They hadn't seen Americans before. And they came and they greeted us and they shook our hands. And their hands were very hard. Hard like hands that had been used every day of their lives for physical labor. It wasn't the smooth hand that I have or the smooth hands that many of us have. And uh, after visiting through a translator, she said, I want to pray. And I misunderstood her. I thought she wanted me to pray for her. And she said, no, 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 I'm going to pray. And with great passion and enthusiasm, she prayed a very long prayer, probably seven minutes long to the Lord. I'll confess, I have no idea exactly what she was praying. Found out later she was praying for me. She's praying that I would be a preacher of boldness, that I would be a preacher that never sacrificed the truth of Jesus Christ, that I would come home to America and be used by God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. A humble woman, probably the lowest class of all of India, prayed for me, prayed for Tom, prayed for you, for our church. I was reminded prayer. Prayer is powerful, and I, I don't pray enough. We don't pray enough. I was reminded, lesson number three, that there is power in the proclamation of God's Word. There's power in preaching. There's power in teaching. I got a couple pictures of the convention, and in this first picture here, I'm preaching with a translator, and in the second picture I'm preaching by myself, but the first night that we arrived in Imphal, we were met at the airport, and Lun Kim said, we have decided to do a spur-of-the-moment service, and we don't know how many people are going to come out, but we decided this morning to do a welcome service at the Imphal Christian Church. Don't be disappointed if there's not a lot of people there, and I thought, no big deal, and with about six hours notice, 400 people came out for our welcome service. And I told them if I did a spur-of-the-moment Thursday night service this week, we might be lucky to have 40 people come out. Am I right? And they asked me to preach, and I didn't really have any notice. I didn't know that I was going to do it. And they said, you don't have to give us a lot. And I preached 12 minutes. Uh, Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You hear it a lot around here. And at the end of the time, we had a reception, and three different preachers came up to me and gave me a rebuke. They rebuked me for not preaching longer. One of them said, I was so disappointed that you only preached for 12 minutes. I want to hear much, much, much more. And I share that with you because one of my first experiences back in the States was at our pancake breakfast. 
that Saturday morning, and I'm eating pancakes and sausage with some members of our church and a member of another church where Adam Brucker was getting ready to go preach the next day. And the member of that other church kind of got in my grill and he said, you better tell that preacher that's coming tomorrow, we only tolerate 10-minute sermons. If he preaches longer than 10 minutes, I'm getting up and I'm leaving. And I just laughed on the inside. And I just thought, what a difference to go from being rebuked for not preaching long enough to being rebuked that you better not go more than 10 minutes. And that's our life in America, isn't it? We're, we're on the clock. The bears are going to kick off, right? We, we got things to do. We got places to go. And man, there was a hunger for the Word of God. There was a thankfulness for sermons that were preached. Lesson number four, hospitality is undervalued. Uh, we just went through 1 Peter, and I know we've got some guests that are with us today, but for those of you that have been around here, you probably remember in chapter 4 the idea that, that Peter threw out to the first century Christians in Asia Minor. Offer hospitality without what? What was the word he said? Don't grumble about it. Be hospitable and have a smile on your face. And man, did I experience that in northeast India. They blessed us from the time we arrived to the time that we left. And one of the ways that they did it was with food. I really thought, I put about 10 pounds on this winter, haven't been out on the bike trail very much, and I really thought this trip is coming at the perfect time because I'm not going to eat really very much, and, and I'm going to lose some weight, and I'll get back, and I'll look you know, very svelte and, and, and in style and ready to go. And I actually gained weight on this trip because they kept bringing food to my plate. These ladies are from the village where, where we stayed during the convention, very common women. They cooked one day for an entire day preparing a feast for 60 over an open fire. They, they, they roasted chicken and, and, and made rice and, and, and gravy and soup and just an incredible, incredible gift of hospitality. Here are a picture of, a, of some of the food, and I know it's hard for those of you in the back to see a lot of rice and a lot of green stuff. And I'm not a big fan of the green stuff, but I ate it all, I want you to know. I ate it all. Another way that they were hospitable with us is they protected us. Um, I felt safe, but I found out that there's a lot of bad things that go on where we were, and that there's a lot of terrorism that goes on. And so we had um, guards that were with us for much of our time. Uh, Tilan Kim's son, Alan, is the head of all telecommunications for the state of Manipur. And he has a police guard and attachment. And he shared his attachment with us for much of our trip. And, and we were protected. And, and, and we kept saying, you don't have to do this. It's not necessary. He said, we will do it. I want to do it. I want to bless you. This next picture is of a, a wonderful woman and her husband that saved me from my early morning walk that was very ill-advised. They blessed me. And then this final picture is our host, during the convention, Solette, he is the chief of the village, very influential man in all of Northeast India, a banker, and uh, just incredibly sold out for Jesus Christ. The last prayer that I prayed in Northeast India, in Chuchanapur, was for Solette. And he asked me to pray that, that he may be used by God to continue to bring greatness to the kingdom in his name. Lesson number five. Probably the final lesson, maybe the most important lesson is this. Indigenous ministry 
is possible. And some of you might not even know what that word even means. The idea of an indigenous ministry is that it's an, a, a ministry that is sustained on its own without help from American churches. So many missions really rely on the American missionary. And while the American missionary's there, it's great. And when the American goes home, the mission really dries up. And do not hear this as criticism. I love all of the ministries that we support. I, I love the, the men and women that Marla and I and Ed went to Bible college and seminary with that are serving overseas. God's using them in a great way. But what I absolutely love about this ministry is if not another American dollar made its way to Northeast India, they will continue to be a difference-making church for decades and decades and decades to come because of their Bible college. Because of their nursing school at the hospital. They have 85 young women from villages that come and they're studying at this hospital. Tom and I dedicated the fifth floor. And these young women, ages 17 to 21, they're gaining medical training. They're gaining professional training. But they're also gaining theological training. And their vision is to send them back to the village as the medical expert. But they'll be able to, to, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. To teach the gospel. That's indigenous ministry at its very, very best. And the flippant response when I say that is, well, then we don't need to send any more money their way. They're doing just fine. They don't need our American dollars. I say to you, they need our American dollars more than ever because they're just scratching the surface for the kingdom in India. India is an enormous, enormous mission field. And Dr. T. Lun Kim and the Kuki Christian Mission are literally changing the world. That's Dr. Lun Kim with two of his daughters. Daughter on the, the right was our, kind of our food host for the entire time. And then this next picture is a picture of the Kuki Christian Mission team. Difference-making men and women serving Jesus Christ with passion and priority. Well, I want to leave you with a challenge, and I want to leave it in the way of a story. Um, Dr. Lun Kim became a Christian when Baptist missionaries came to, to the jungle when he was a teenager. And they converted him to, to Christianity and became a, a lay minister in the Baptist church and went to seminary in 1975, later in his life, went to seminary during a, a tragic time of his life. His wife and one of his children died a month apart in 1975, and yet... He was encouraged by those closest to him to go to Fuller and to study. And while he was at Fuller Seminary in California, he met two men, Max Ward Randall and Cyril Simpkins, mission professors at Lincoln Christian College and Seminary. And in the midst of a friendship that they struck up, Lun Kim began to share his frustration with denominations. He was so tired that some people said, well, we're the Baptists, and some people said, well, we're the Presbyterians, and some people said, we're the Assembly of God, and he said, no, there's one church, the Church of Jesus Christ. We can't have these divisions. We can't have these denominations. And Simpkins and Randall said to him, you don't realize this, but you're articulating the Restoration Movement plea, and he said, tell me more. And he talked about Alexander Campbell and Walter Scott and Barton Stone and the plea for one church, a united church. So Lun Kim got his master's and he went back and he, he left the Baptist church. And he started the M. Fall Christian Church in 1979. But he had this, the, the, this heartache that there were so many people that wanted to be like him and go to seminary and study, but there, were no, there was no money. 
it costs tens of thousands of dollars to send a foreign student to America. And so he wrote Simpkins and he said, I, I, I really feel called by God to start a seminary in Northeast India. Will you help me? Simpkins said, get to America and I'll help you raise the money. And so in 1980, came to America and over a period of 80 days, visited 14 churches and many people individually and shared his plea. I think Clinton might have been one of those churches and each church said the same thing. Great, great plea. We don't have a single dollar to give you. 80 days. He hadn't raised a dollar. And so he's very discouraged and he's ready to go home. And Dr. Simpkins said, there's one final church that I want you to come and preach at. Tom Segelke's home church, the Lincoln Christian Church. He said, I've talked to everyone that I know about Sunday night church tonight. Come tonight and bring it the very best that you can. Bring a message like you've never brought before. And he said that night, he was as sick as he'd been. He was so sick, he could barely stand up. And he was only able to preach 12 minutes before he, had to, he thought he was going to throw up again. He had to get off the stage. And he said, I didn't feel very good about my trip to America. I didn't feel very good about the message that I preached that night. But a man met him at the door on his way to the restroom. And he said, can you come to my office tomorrow morning? He worked at Lincoln Christian College. His name was Leroy Trulock. Some of you will know that name. Leroy had made a fortune selling farm equipment. He was an implement dealer uh, among several other ventures. He, he loved Jesus Christ, and he had money to fund missions and churches that grabbed his heart. And the next morning, over a cup of coffee on the campus of Lincoln Christian College and Seminary at the time, Dr. Lund Kim shared his passion and Leroy Trulock said, how much do you need? Lund Kim said, $50,000. And Trulock said, I'll give you every penny. He said, I can give you $10,000 right now. And I'll give you $40,000 over the next couple weeks. And before Lund Kim could even speak, Dr. Simpkins said, those terms are acceptable. Those terms are wonderful. And a year later, the Trulock Seminary was dedicated and for the last 32 years, with that as the catalyst, the Kooky Christian Mission, the Trulock Theological Seminary, the Christians in Northeast India have changed their world in Northeast India, and they've changed so many other lives. I can't tell you how many times Tom and I met a person in mainland India that studied at the Thelok, Trulock Theological Seminary. And I thought, what if he wouldn't have stepped up? What if Trulock would have said, maybe someone else can do that? One man with the ability to be used by God literally has changed the world in Northeast India in ways they probably never thought were possible. And so my challenge for you this morning is this. Will you partner with the difference-making church in Northeast India. And for some of you, it's as simple as saying, I'm, I'm going to start praying for people I don't even know. I'm going to pray that God will use these men and these women, these nursing students, these seminary students in a great and mighty way. But for some of you, man, God's blessed you incredibly, and you could be a blessing. I don't want to belabor the point. I want to just challenge you to allow God to use you in a great and mighty way. You're going to hear of opportunities in, in the months ahead. Opportunities to buy books, opportunities for special projects, 
opportunities to be a blessing? Will we continue to be a church that makes a difference in Northeast India? That's the question of the morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. And I, I just, I am blown away by what is taking place in Imphal and Manipur, throughout all of India, a country where Christians are few and far between in so many places, but a place where your church is alive and your church is making a difference. It's making a difference through preaching and teaching and worship. It's making a difference through a hospital and a seminary and a Bible college and an orphanage and a radio program. And so, God, it's my prayer that we'll never fall into the trap. It's really a curse of thinking that your church is just a Clinton, Illinois church. That we'll never have a worldview that's just 61727. That we'll never grow tired of partnering with people literally halfway around the world making a difference in your name. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.